Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Genesis chapter 27. Yes, I know it's a whole chapter, but I won't read the whole chapter soon. I'm pretty sure your legs can handle it. So, if not, there's a CrossFit gym underneath us, then uh, you can get a workout there to be you from. So, Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Now take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he was. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said, Rebecca's mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be upon me, my son, only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them, and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. And Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of, young go- of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smoothest part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she, she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, and your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord has granted me success that I have found. It's granted me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice of Jacob's voice, but their hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered him, I am. Then he said, Bring it here, that I may eat of my son's game and blessing. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came in near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. It's the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. 
Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father Esau, his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father said, his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out exceedingly with a great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even so, O oh my father. But, he said, your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly, rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, he has now taken away my blessing. You may be seated. It's the word of the Lord. So what does an ex-evangelical, an evangelical, a MAGA supporter, a Black Lives Matter supporter, a self-made billionaire, someone on government assistance, a Republican, and a Democrat all have in common? Of course, right now you're waiting for the catch. There's nobody can answer this because it is totally a rhetorical question. I know the answer because I'm giving the sermon. It can all be summed up through the chorus for a popular YouTube song that says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. In truth, we're all searching for the blessing of God. We want to be made whole. We want to be made full. We want to have a place where we are not tossed to and fro in this world, that we can have stability in all of life's tests. But many of us, and even here, even Christians still, in a certain way, haven't found what we are looking for, have we? You know, some of us, we're searching for that blessing of God. We're looking for it in the beloved community. We're searching for the nostalgic life of tranquility where little kids can play until the streetlights come out all by themselves. We're looking for a time of true peace. We're looking for orthodox teaching and godly practice. We're looking for what we believe to be the blessing of God. And our text identifies for us that God's blessing is His presence to guarantee that His mission and promise to redeem and fix the world will be accomplished. That He will see to it through His very presence. Hence why Jacob and Esau want it. They believe that it is going to help them accomplish their goals. Our text also shows us that it is through sinful and jacked up people that God will accomplish this redemption. God's blessing then can be summed up as the true mirth, the happiness of the soul that frees us to face all the troubles of this world with great courage. It is the truly joyful heart, because the presence of God is with them. Many of our world have struggled to find it. We don't feel like we can acknowledge God's presence in our lives, many of us, because it feels far from us. Some have tried out Christianity only to find it lacking. To God's people, 
many of us is just a lot of knowledge rattling around in our brain. But it wasn't enough to move us. Sometimes we feel that we find the blessing and it just happens in little doses. Like that little feeling you get on top of a 14 or when you look all around you and see all the little places beneath you. Maybe it's in the rush of making it down to double black diamond in one piece. Maybe you find it in the laughter of a grandchild or the feeling of a first kiss. You feel those little doses of blessing and you hope that maybe once it will last. Some in Christianity have felt this at first, like many of my friends, but over time they either outright reject it or they have just slowly stopped embracing it. And they've embraced the feeling they get from something other than Christianity, from the truth that Christ loves them, that they are accepted before God. When they confess that maybe that they have not really felt love and they have not really felt moved by Christianity, they're confronted by many well-meaning friends and pastors, and you know what they end up giving them? Let me give you ten reasons why you're wrong. Let me give you ten reasons why you need a little more logic, a little more reasoning, a little more worldview. And if you had the right worldview, then everything would be right. But it doesn't help. You see, a lot of times we go after the head without, and we totally forget the heart. It's as Schaefer says, an orthodoxy devoid of love is certainly the most ugly thing in the world. What money had been looking for in Christianity had been found in a bunch of other little places, and it's found in everywhere but the church for a lot of people. And so what we've done is we take this buffet line approach to, to uh, the good life. We get a little bit of good, like, love your neighbor. I like that from Christianity. I'm embracing love by God. I like that from Christianity. But I like a little bit of the Eastern mysticism. And at times, I, I find that there's healing in rocks. You know, and so I'm going to some of the, the more pagan things. And so we take this, uh, this buffet line, and it allows us to have 10,000 different contradictions in our brain. Things that don't even add up, we, we can live that way. Why? It's because the way of the modern person is not one of thinking, but it is one of the heart of love. We are moved by what we love most. And so we have to ask ourselves, does Christianity move us? Do we have that blessing, that fullness to allow us to move us? And it doesn't necessarily come through come through uh, the, the really kind of clear teaching necessarily or good logic, but it also comes through the heart. And so we all have these different versions and visions of how to get this blessing. For Gen Xers, the plan was, I'm going to get God's blessing by marrying my soulmate, and then I'm going to make some really good strategic investments so that I can have lots of security and comfort. I can live in my big split-level houses because that's what Gen Xers do. And they live in these crazy, weird, arranged houses. And they, they are secure that way. Or maybe it's like the millennials. You know, instead of kind of marrying your soulmate, you marry your best friends. So you can have really cool adventures. And then you 
can Instagram it, and everyone gives you the thumbs up and the little heart symbols, and it's great, right? Or maybe it's the Gen Z or iGen. They try to achieve God's blessing by going viral on TikTok, whatever in the world that is. It's probably some kind of Chinese ploy or something to get our information, but whatever. But here's the rub. Why haven't many of us found that lasting love and blessing? Why haven't we found it? Why haven't we been settled and we can just stop in one place? Why haven't we gotten that joy that makes our heart burst and allows us to feel lovable, wanted, and secure? You know, Gen Xers, they're really on their fourth soulmate. You know, elementary school, then they got one in high school, and then you're on your fourth soulmate. They watch their retirement disappear twice. Millennials have given up on trying to change the world and have opted out. Instead of making millions, I just want to climb mountains and have really cool adventures. Because at least that's still out there and it's a little more permanent. Many of iGen have also found that the constant performing for TikTok or Instagram is exhausting and it plunges them into deep depression. They can't perform anymore. And it's exhausting. All the meanwhile, our poor eye generation is being bullied by everybody else while they're trying to, you know, perform and make themselves feel acceptable. And today's sermon tells us how to be blessed, reminding God's people that they are blessed for the sake of the world. To extend that blessing that God can and will bring about that blessing despite humans' sinfulness. Despite human deceit, somehow God is going to work and arrange it so that this works out. What we learn is that the love of the Father is not obtained by performance or pretense, but by grace. The narrative swirls around the conflict about how Jacob is about will get this blessing. How in the world is he going to get it? God's people who are probably listening are like, man, Jacob is a messed up dude. This guy is deceitful. How in the world is God going to use him? And they're also identifying with Jacob at this time. They're like, wait a second. We're from Jacob. Is he trying to say that we're like deceitful and messed up? And that we kind of like try to leverage God and blessing us? That's strange. And so they're really kind of distracted. They're probably wondering, how in the world is God going to make straight lines out of us, these crooked sticks? And so there's two, pair, two pairs of main characters who embody the ways of doing it wrong, of trying to get God's blessing. There's Isaac and Esau, who are men of appetite, who are trying to say, if I can get it this way, if I can obtain God's blessing through satisfaction of my appetite, then I will have the fullness, I will be moved, I can actually have the life that I always wanted. And then the other way is the way of Jacob and Rebekah, which is ambitious and daring scheming in order to get what they want, to secure the blessing. So our text shows us two ways of trying to get God's blessing and one way to receive it. The two ways that we try to get God's blessing is through appetite and ambition. And the one way to receive it is through awareness. So appetite. Don't get me wrong, having appetites and desires for X, you know, is, is probably a good thing. If you want, like, you know, good food, that, that's good. If God created these things to be good. But if you don't make them in your ultimate thing, then they will ultimately betray you as it does with Isaac. 
So let's first look at the way of satisfying the appetite. This is a way it's kind of summed up uh, through in the relationship here. Notice that Isaac in chapter 25, and it says that he loves Esau. Why? Because Esau gives him game, gives him good food. And so Isaac is a hungry person. He's got an appetite. And so it needs to be satisfied. So he, what ends up happening, it isn't so much that religion or spirituality that moves Isaac. Rather, it is his enjoyment of food. He is moved. He is led into the world by his stomach. And so he has exchanged the worship of the Creator for the creation. Notice how it starts for Isaac. He mentions that his eyes were dim. And his senses are leaving him. Because he is led or deceived by his stomach. He is deceived so much that his touch is so messed up, he cannot tell the difference between goat hair and human hair. That's how messed up he is. He's like, mm, that food smells good. Uh, yeah, sure, that's, that's my son Esau. Got it. How do you not tell that a person has got hair covering him like a ha Halloween costume? Okay, it's just weird. Alright, so what happens is his senses are betraying him. Often for us in Christianity nowadays, we unwittingly walk away from regular meeting of the faith or we outright reject Christianity. And it's popular these days. And for me, I'm like, well, this seems weird. I didn't grow up in Christianity and I kind of came into it later in life. I'm like, that is, it, like, Jesus is awesome. But as I was riding my bike last week at the end of my vacation, instead of being in worship, I was riding my bike and went up the back of High Drive and enjoying the smell of the pine. And I started going down over a North Cheyenne Canyon. And I realized something. One, I realized something. I am having to stop because people are parking in the roadway. Who parks in the roadway in a park? And I'm on my bike trying to go like 50 miles an hour downhill. I'm about to die probably. But anyway, and so there's you know, cars in the roadway and I realize that at the same time there are people who are, you know, would worship in churches. And people have decided that that is where they find the true blessing is in the person of Christ preached and tasted and seen in the sacrament. But instead, all these people are out in North Cheyenne Canaan experiencing God's creation. And what it did was reveal to me this thing. I understand exactly how it feels. To feel these little glimpses and little pieces of the creator and creation. To have your heart full for just a second. Or maybe in romance, when you look at another person and you know they want you, and your heart just explodes, it is easy just go a different route than worship God. Our appetites take us away. You know, there's people out in trails rather than church. Why? Because the feeling you get out in nature is a replacement for the religion for many. We could say the same for serving. People who go out and serve. People who protest. We can say the same for defending our political tribe or a new experience. 
or the experiences that we get at concerts or festivals. You see, we all have a religious appetite of sorts, and it is just that we're feeding it in all the wrong places rather than the place that we were meant to fill it. Why do people leave the faith today? Because they're moved in other ways. It's not so much the information. It's that they have felt more full, more blessed, while doing yoga on a stand-up power that they have next to God's people. Because at times, in our self-righteousness, we look down on other people and we condemn them rather than bless them. And it is a hard place. And this appetite, though, is a lot like being hangry. You know what being hangry is. You're so hungry, you're angry. Alright? And so, I have a child who, uh, you know, she gets hangry. Okay? And what happens is she becomes grumpy with everybody else. And if you're wondering why you're grumpy all the time, is probably because you're in some way you are not experiencing something that moves you to actually be merciful and gracious to other people. Instead, you're grumpy. And so we sit there with most of our friends who deconvert, and they slip away into apathy. But they all live, they haven't found what they're looking for. They try to find a place, a new religion that satisfies the deepest yearnings, but they still haven't found what they're looking for. Our appetites have not been met. We try to find it in our happiness and the blessing in nature. We try to find it in a new car. We try to find it in our pocketbooks. But yet it is not there, the lasting happiness that we most certainly need or want. And so how does the church respond? And oftentimes the church responds to what I'm going to say is a very negative way. Instead, what we do is we answer this consumeristic call, churches, and what we do is we try to go bigger and better with churches. We need to make worship better so that they can listen to it. So what do we do? Let's make it into a rock concert. You know, with cool lights and stuff like that. Do you know what that's built on? That's built on novelty. And then there's also, the, you know, like I've seen preachers come into worship services on zip lines. Why? Because it needs to be bigger and better every time. If your experience, if what you're looking for is just to be entertained, then it's in consumerism. What you're doing is you're trying to satiate your appetite with a new novel thing. Do you know what happens though? It has a waning effect. Do you know what churches have to do in order to stay relevant then in this kind of culture? You have to be bigger and better every time. And if you have to be bigger and better every time, what's going to happen in 30 years? And the worship's going to be out of this world, literally. I mean, it's going to be in space or something. It's going to be awesome, right? But no, that isn't the way it is meant to do. Rather, we are supposed to go back to understanding that we are, their security of God's blessing is not obtained by free feeding the appetite, but it is obtained by the appetite being satiated in Christ, obtaining it for you. That is why it sounds very often that we preach the same sermons. I wonder where this sermon's going to end. It's going to end in Jesus. Okay? 
And so, it ends with Jesus. We sing songs about Jesus the same way. We do confession of sin because that's what our heart needs. You know, it isn't by trying to make everything superior and better. It is not by feeding that appetite, by having your appetite satiated in the person of Christ. And so we do communion very much in the same way that it had been done 2,000 years ago. In a lot of ways, it's like going to the fridge. Do you know what my angry child needs to do? You know what I do with my angry child? They're getting grumpy, and then I realize that they're angry. Do you know what I say? Hey, uh, you need to go to the fridge. Why? Because, I mean, I know, the metaphor breaks down, okay? I get that, all right? Because I'm the one supplying the food in the fridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway. My child goes to the fridge because that is the place where your appetites can be truly satiated. There's food in there. And if you're hungry, where do you need to go? It's not to the next mountaintop experience. It's not to the next you know, you know, church camp or revival. It's probably back to the ordinary things. The preaching of Christ. Christ's body broke it. His blood and poured out because that is where the blessing is secured for you. But what about the other way? What about ambition? And see, with, uh, with Rebecca and Jacob, they're trying to secure the blessing through careful planning and scheming. They're trying to trick them through deceit. And so she says, You know, listen to my voice, which was supposed to cue the ear to the listeners to remind them of uh, listening to the voice of the serpent or listening to the voice of the woman back in Eden. Now, this is not to say you shouldn't listen to your wife. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Just, just oh my gosh, like, like, don't listen to women. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? That is not what this text is saying. But rather, to cue the ear to say, this is not the way to go. The way of careful scheming and deceit is not the way to obtain God's blessing. How does this look today? You're like, well, how does this look? It looks a lot like control. Have you ever run into that person who's always trying to control the narrative about them to you? So, if you have like a conflict with them, they end up saying, they end up controlling your like, well, you don't know that I've done this. Or, uh, you, you would think differently if you knew this about me. If you knew the truth. And so they're always trying to control the narrative. They're always trying to take the data that you have and manipulate it to put it into their service. It's scheming. There's no freedom for this person. You want to know why? Because they're always trying to scheme and get the narrative to be on their side. Imagine being married to a person like this. A person can never be wrong. He always has to work the narrative in his favor or her favor. He always has to tell the children, well, if you knew this about her, or you knew this about her, or think about it with your friends or your coworkers. It works like that. This person has a control problem. Notice that they're always trying to like, well, what about this contingency, Mom? Yeah, just slap some hair on it. It'll work. You know? Here, I've got his clothes. And so you use all the data points to argue and defend and to protect yourself. 
And don't forget that even Christians can do this. Even good pastors can do this. They can use things like the gospel being preached in order that they can receive praise for themselves. It becomes a place of just moralism and performance. It's just ambition. You see, this way, the way it ends up for, for Jacob and Esau is it ends up with burning people. Notice Esau's hatred will turn him red. Red not just because that's the way his skin was, because he was furious with Jacob. Jacob will go into being a fugitive and burns people. The constant control of the narrative of your life by ambition, seeking, and scheming will burn people. And sometimes it will be your closest relatives and the ones you love most. It will burn people. Jacob will end up being a fugitive. And he will not know what happens to his Two wrong ways, appetite and ambition. So which way do we go? It ought to be the way of awareness. When Esau returns from the field and Isaac realizes that he's been tricked into giving the blessings to Jacob, he realizes that he's been caught, and at the same time he's confronted with his competing interests. Isaac would have known about the oracle that had been given, which said that Jacob was to be served by Esau, that he would be the greater one. And that the blessing, that God was going to work through him. But what was Isaac doing? Because of his appetite, he was competing with God. And so all at once, he's confronted when he realizes what happens. God's word has come true despite everything he tried and competed. Despite his appetite. And so he's caught. And he realizes his deep need for redeeming grace. He realizes he can't compete with God's plan. It's as if Herman Melville and Moby Dick is right. Heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we all, all for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. What is it like being caught to become self-aware? remember when mom and dad found out your deep, dirty secret? You're like hiding something. Your ears burn. You got a rush in your chest and there's tightness. But you also remember what it's like to be completely exposed and completely in love at one time. Like the first time you heard God's word and it came alive to you. When you realize deeply that Jesus Christ actually loves you, and he actually died for your sin, you know what it's like? The best words I've ever heard is by Dave Matthews, you know, speaking about concerts and festivals. Woo! Uh, Dave Matthews calls it, it's black magic bliss. It's like the first kiss. All at once, one moment, 
feel deeply wanted and then also at the same time you're completely conscious of all your failures. And how in the world can I possibly be this? It's awareness. And Isaac trembles violently when he gets this awareness. It's black magic bliss. It's the thrill of the first kiss. See this kind of going on over and over again. How can God use human deception to accomplish his plan? What God can do this? There was this woman in the New Testament who had been bleeding for years. She wanted to hide. She was shameful. She couldn't go to worship because of her bleeding. She was on a perch where she couldn't go to God. She'd gone to many doctors trying to be trying to find a salvation for herself. Jesus is passing through, and a crowd presses in, and what does she do? She thinks to herself, if only I could touch the hem of his robe, I could be healed. And she touches it, she is healed, and all at one time, Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And what does the text say? It says she came with fear and trembling. She trembled. With a great self-awareness that she had been healed, but then she was conscious of everything about herself. Jesus' disciples are in a boat in the middle of a storm. He's there sleeping. They're like, hey, Jesus, wake up. Don't you even care for us? And Jesus wakes up and probably with yawn, like, yeah, hey, what's up? Uh, and he says, they say, don't you care? We're about to die. Waves are crashing. The storm is going to consume us. And Jesus says, be silent. Be still, he says to the, to, the, uh, to the storm. He says, peace. And all at once, a great fear and trembling came upon his disciples. Because they knew that the blessing of Jesus Christ being with them would tear them apart. Who is this God that can make even human deception into straight paths? And of course, the greatest place where trembling was happened, where happened, where the world trembled. A centurion upon piercing the side of Jesus and the temple being rent in two at an earthquake. The earth trembled. The centurion declares, surely this was the Son of God. Somehow, through the sham of a deceitful trial, the self-protection of a Roman governor, the betrayal and abandonment of friends, and the brutal execution of Jesus Christ, the truly innocent man deserving of blessing, we receive blessing. We receive the presence of God. Somehow, it is by death that we get life. Because of Jesus, the one who truly had the blessing, the true presence of God. He lost it on the cross so that you and I may have that blessing forever in Him, secured in His resurrection. We are blessed in Christ. And it doesn't come through ambition or our appetites. It comes through the awareness of Jesus Christ. Mighty and gracious God, meet us now. 
Lead us now in this communion table that we may truly commune with you and be blessed by your presence so that we would be the citizens of your kingdom demonstrating your love, kindness, and mercy. That we may not be people driven by ambition or appetites, but driven by the awareness that we are loved, that we can approach you, that we have the true blessing of the Father. Because the true Son lost the blessing.